Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here to... Number one show at 5 o'clock, and we have a full studio today. Even though it's Friday, we have a full studio, and we even have one Republican that never usually shows up on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And we have Judge Richard Weinberg and uh, Governor David Patterson as our common sense Democrats, our common sense Republican. But he does get angry sometimes. Maybe may related to— Who are you to, talking about? You know, we have uh, used to be deputy mayor under Rudy Giuliani, and, and maybe related to George— George Washington. But it's a, a How horse, many people are? Say it's a horse of a different color. Yes, I, I told you. Put that on my credit card when I get it. All right. It could be. I live on Washington Avenue, so there you go. It's named That's after you, Rudy. There you go. Make sure you don't put congestion pricing on Washington Avenue. <laughs> and uh, my sidekick here, Lydia Serrani, and TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, and and it's uh, sundown already. So that means we're. The most powerful radio station on the East Coast. We're broadcasting from, how does uh, Curtis say it? From the Bahamas, uh, as the ships are going down the Bermuda Triangle. From there, all the way up to northern Canada, up to, uh, all the way up to, uh, the north part of Europe. Uh, so, uh, we're here to tell, uh, the truth. While we well, wait, tell us about the show today. We have a fantastic show. We, momentarily, we are waiting for Congressman Lee Zeldin, Ryan Payne, as well as Steve Moore, Ambassador John Bolton, and then we'll also be talking to Tony Orzlani. Uh, and, but and on today the- is Rita Cosby's birthday, and happy birthday, Rita. And, yes. and your father's. Yes. And my father's birthday, and, and we have a little surprise later on. Okay, so on the line, I'm told uh, Congressman Zeldin is on the line with us. Uh, welcome back to Cats at Night. Hey, everybody. Well, where the heck are we? I mean, uh, uh, you brought in, if it wasn't for you bringing in all those congressmen to, uh, in uh, New York, uh, maybe we would not have had the majority. Well, we, we had a lot of great candidates. Uh, they were out working hard. Uh, we were running as one team and talking about many of the same issues and uh, really excited to see all the down-ballot success. I was just in D.C. with uh, Congresswoman Maliotakis. She was telling me that four of the assembly districts in her congressional district flipped. Uh, wow. Great, yeah, seeing great strides uh, inside of New York City a lot that the Republican right, Party Let me, let me can, uh, calm down uh, David Patterson. He's a little upset. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, <laughs> I'm not too upset yet. <laughs> well, listen, it, it was uh, it's just important for the Republican Party to work on uh, outreach to voters who uh, maybe haven't voted Republican in the past. Uh, during our campaign, we would show up anywhere. Uh, we'd show up everywhere. Uh, it was the day before the election, and you know, just saw their faces in Co-op City in the Bronx when I was showing up. You're, you're not supposed to be here. Um, but, yeah, I think that it's just important for uh, people when they're out there campaigning for votes. Yes, it's, you know, you speak to your base. You want to make sure that your supporters are showing up. But uh, it's also important to expand and, and talk to people about issues that matter most to them and, and work hard, start early, take nothing for granted, and uh, for voters out there, make sure your vote doesn't get taken for granted. You, well, you, worked, you're- uh, you worked so very hard, and I want to ask one question, and David Patterson, we're going to go to you, and and uh, Rudy Washington, and then to you. Um, why did New York City, the five boroughs, get 70% of the vote when, 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 when all the crime that's going on? 
Well, there's different types of voters out there. I mean, we won Staten Island by about 33%. Um, there were parts of the uh, Orthodox Jewish community where these election districts were coming in. Uh, a bunch of them had us up over 90%. With the Asian American community, we won Chinatown in Manhattan, Flushing in Queens, Sunset Park in Brooklyn. Uh, and then there are other people out there who, uh, you know, especially inside of Manhattan, uh, inside of some other parts of Brooklyn, uh, they came out strong. I mean, they, they heeded the call. The last week of the election, uh, the, the governor brought out uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Joe and Jill Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, a whole bunch of different celebrity friends. You had the Working Families Party campaigning to uh, be able to exist because it was a governor gubernatorial election. You had some labor unions uh, stepping up and uh, it was kind of like they were cramming for a final exam. They probably shouldn't have waited as long as they did, but uh, you know they they woke up uh, in time. Uh, you know I would say sometimes with these elections they say, well, if you only had one more week, I would actually say it would have been inter- more interesting if the election was about one week earlier. Um, but still, it was uh, an exciting race and uh, spirited contest. And uh, grateful for your excellent coverage every single night. Just trying to get the facts out. Governor Patterson, uh, you know, Congressman, uh, I, I I was almost shocked when you said that because I actually sort of sensed that the campaign that you waged and you really hit the issues that people were thinking about, because if you didn't, there wouldn't have been so much discussion. There wouldn't have been so much movement in the polls. But I sort of thought that toward the end, uh, there was uh, finally a reaction and that it bought the current governor four more years. I just wondered uh, at times when you got even, why you didn't talk about some of the issues such as what goes on in Long Island, where, you know, both of us grew up, where um, you've got a lot of seniors losing their homes now because they can't afford to stay there because of the taxes and obviously the inflation that exists or even the tax issue, which uh, there wasn't too much you said about uh, taxes. And of course, obviously, that's a real problem for all New Yorkers. Well, actually, I mean, we, we crushed the vote on Long Island. Uh, we, we ended up with about 20 percent uh, of the statewide vote came out of Long Island, which was outpacing registration. Uh, we won by close to 20 points in Suffolk, uh, had a double-digit win in Nassau County. Uh, so, you know, th- this race was, uh, we were very happy with both the turnout and the margins. And as far as the, the issues go, it was interesting because people say, well, what's the top issue? What we found was that downstate, the number one issue was crime. The number two issue was the economy. Upstate, the number one issue was the economy. The number two issue was crime. Right. Uh, and as we're traveling around you know, many parts of, of upstate, uh, that was the number one thing that we had to talk about was the economic piece, economic opportunity, affordability, energy costs, jobs. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, on, on Long Island, everyone came out strong. It was uh, it was really good numbers. We were happy with it's, if if it was just Long Island, uh, you know, and it's you know, we ended up winning 49 of 62 counties. Uh, but wow. especially yeah 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 yes. and it, but it, you know Manhattan and that's um, big news. Brooklyn that's very, very big news yeah. the vote in Manhattan and Brooklyn was down ten percent but it was still uh, kind of overwhelming for your, your opponent and, and I'll, I'll tell you something else that's interesting as far as next level of that is even during election day. Uh, they weren't hitting their numbers. You know, they, they come out with updates after 9 a.m., 12 a.m., uh, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., and, of course, the end. Uh, when the 3 p.m. numbers had come out, 
The turnout was not where it needed to be, uh, but over the course of those last six hours of the campaign, we saw a big uptick uh, with the Democratic vote coming out uh, across the city, but especially inside of Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, Congressman, this is Rudy Washington. I want to talk to you about the future. Talk to us about the RNC. Well, I mean, since the election was over, I've had people reach out with all sorts of uh, different ideas, uh, you know, that they, they don't understand that really the dream job is to bring John his coffee. And they, but they're calling me about uh, possible backup options uh, and that they've ranged from running for office um, for it for all sorts of different offices that are out there, the stuff inside of government, out of government. One of the options uh, that has been floated, I've received a lot of calls, especially over the last week or so, about considering a run for chair of the Republican National Committee. It's uh, it's something that I am considering. Uh, I've, I have been uh, participating in a lot of phone calls, a lot of people reaching out. Uh, and we're going to, you know, seriously think through if, if, whether if I, to do it. If I recall, uh, you were on with Laura Ingram uh, last night and she, she raised the question. And I think, Judge, you even mentioned it to me about these hundred people that uh, uh, Daniels has already committed to her. And you kind of uh, poo pooed that idea. Well, I think, Lee, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I just want to congratulate you on a great race, Congressman. I think you are the, the fresh face in the Republican Party. In fact, I'll go broader than that. I think you're the fre- a fresh face for America. We, we need you. Whatever your next situation is, we're very thankful to, uh, to have you there. But the, and, and by the way, and for those listening, this is David Patterson, and I approve that message. <laughs> <laughs> this is the House Democrat, Richard Weinberg, and I approve that message. Yes. <laughs> but, but the other interesting thing, I read Miranda Vine's column, and she's floating you out to be Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. And I had to educate some of my colleagues, and I said— Two interesting secrets are, one, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a justice in the United States Supreme Court. And two, you do not have to be a member of the House of Representatives to be its speaker. So what do you say about that? And well, the second know, may be the less had, known of the two. Yeah, Ke- Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, they, they had the vote. This week, he got a majority of the conference. He has until January 3rd to get 218 votes uh, on the House floor. Uh, he's working hard to put those votes together. And, you know, that really that the, the conversation is is mute while while Kevin's going through that effort of uh, putting the votes together. <clears throat> um, it, that was one of the other things that I've, I, I've had some people reach out to me about. And then as far as the uh, the 100 uh, Republican National Committee members who you know, have said that they uh, support uh, Ronald McDaniel for another term, uh, there's different levels of uh, support on that list. I mean, I, I've had people on that list who have had committed before my name was floated, who have been calling me up, asking me to run. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at a list that, you know, isn't actually the, the number that is being floated. Um, but as people reach out, um, I, I'm able to get a sense as to uh, where her support is and, and where our support would be so that we can make a good decision. 
Congressman Zeldin, can I ask just one last question? Do you have any regrets on your campaign? And again, I also want to reiterate what Judge Weinberg said. You fought a hard one. I, I think you won. I mean, in my heart, you won I'm, to come within just five points, considering it's two Democrats to Republicans, two to one in New York State. What you did was so incredible, inspiring, and congratulations. And we're all very proud of you. But if you had one thing you could have changed, what would it be about your campaign? <clears throat> Well, you know, I, I don't I wouldn't say that I have any regrets about how we ran the campaign. Um, I mean, you can you know, try to learn lessons and you know, how would you do things better uh, next time? Uh, any any experience that you have in, in politics, you you learn ways to, you know, to, to tool an aspect of a campaign even stronger. Um, you know, we've been through a bunch of campaigns and, you know, we had a strong team. Uh, we, we were executing our plan. Uh, we were working hard. Uh, we stayed on message. And, uh, you know, it, with, you know, if you look at when the TV ad started after Labor Day and, uh, you know, Kathy Hochul came out with her messaging on uh, abortion and Trump, and we came out with our messaging on fighting crime and having safer streets. And you know, you could come out of the gate with whatever type of message you want. Uh, we made a decision instead of being on defense, uh, we were going to be on offense on the issue that we have also identified was the number one issue downstate. Uh, so we, we we came out with uh, with that message that we knew that a lot of people across party lines were uh, were interested in, and we stayed on message and. We did it effectively enough where, you know, the governor had to change up her message. We didn't have to, to change up ours. Uh, so, you know, there are lessons to be learned of what, what worked or something that we might think of over time that didn't work. Uh, but we're certainly not going to operate under regret, although we might identify certain lessons learned along the way. Thank Lee, Lee Zeldin, thank you so much. You worked very, very hard. And I'm sure you have a great career ahead of you. And uh, we're always going to be there for you because you're a really hard worker. And thank you so much for coming on this Friday afternoon. You got it. Thanks, everybody. Take thank care. Uh, the other big discussion today, I understand there was a special prosecutor. Special counsel. A special counsel, a prosecutor. What, what do you call it? Special Judge, counsel. tell us about that. Uh, under the, the federal law, the, the Attorney General of the United States can appoint somebody as a special counsel. He uh, he did so today. He appointed someone named Jack Smith, who's a— To go after Donald Trump all right. over again. Right. And what was Donald Trump's uh, comments? Donald Trump is asserting his innocence. He's saying once again that this is just another, I have been proven innocent for six years on everything from fake impeachments to Mueller, et cetera, et cetera. So now, once again, they're coming after me. I, uh, do we have a short clip? Uh, Dick Morris called in before and he's going to be on on Sunday. Give us that short clip from Dick Morris. Garland, the attorney general. Tell us about that. Named, has just named a special prosecutor to investigate Trump and the archives. And this is an investigation without a crime. Uh, the Washington Post, which is pretty much a Democratic organ, revealed that the FBI has found that there was no pattern to the documents Trump kept with him to Mar-a-Lago, and that they basically were souvenirs. It was memorabilia. It was kind of ego tripping. It had nothing to do with national security. And, and they hired a they, and the, and the attorney general uh, went out and, and did a special prosecutor. I mean, are we running a third world country? What's going on? Yeah, well, it's another one of these scandals 
that wasn't a scandal. It's a little bit like the uh, the, the Valerie Plain scandal, where nobody got convicted except one guy for perjury. Um, this is a scandal without a scandal. And uh, the important thing is that after terrorizing the country for six months with the specter that Donald Trump could be indicted, it's now clear that he won't be because the major thing they were investigating, the archives, uh, there's no malfeasance, there's no intent. Um, he wasn't taking documents to sell them to the Russians. He was taking documents for a scrapbook and his grandchildren. And uh, he thought he'd be classic. Well, that's going to be, uh, that's part of Dick Morris's uh, uh, discussion on this Sunday morning on the Cats Roundtable. And, uh, and uh, let me tell you something, uh, guys, any last discussion before we take a break? Uh, Governor Patterson? This is a further example of something I was talking about yesterday, where if you can't get somebody in one place, you get them in another. So in other words, um, impeaching the uh, uh, gentleman from Pennsylvania who'd won 70 percent of the vote. And in this case, I see it as very much the same thing, like. We're out to get this person, and we'll do it any way we can. And, and they hire a special prosecutor who is capable of, what, convening a grand jury? Yes, he has the power of the grand jury behind him. And, and what's the old expression about a grand jury? Can you can a ham sandwich. sandwich. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. so this is, this is third world country politics. This and is the, so divisive. Honor, the author of that quote is... Sal Wachler. Yes, Chief Judge Sal Wachler. Hold on. He should be on the Jeopardy finalist. Breaking news. Breaking news. WABC. A judge sentenced Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes to more than 11 years in prison for defrauding investors in her now defunct blood testing startup that was once valued at $9 billion. Wow. From $9 billion to zero. The other guy from uh, the uh, uh, Cipro company went from $17 billion to zero. Does he get 22 years? He wins the prize. Is he still in the Bahamas? <laughs> let's take a break. Let's take a break, and we're going to come back with Steve Moore and Ryan Payne to talk about the uh, uh, stock market. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Always with some breaking news going on here. Now on the line for us to talk about the stock market and all things finance. We have Steve Moore. He is the top economist in one of the top economists in the country. He's also former President Trump's top economic advisor. Also on the line together with him, Ryan Payne. They host a show together. What time, John? Every Saturday at Every what time? Every Saturday. Larry Kudlow's on from 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. And Steve Moore and Ryan Payne are on from 1 to 2. And Ryan Payne, more money, more he, money. More money. He, Ryan Payne is the president and chief investment officer of Payne. That's with a Y, Payne Capital Management. Welcome back, guys. Sometimes it's Pete with an I. Yeah. So, uh, Lydia, the schedule is the schedule is Cuddler and then more Payne. Yes. <laughs> it, it, just, it just heats up all day, guys. Well, when are you guys? When are you guys Red tell me? By the time Steve and I get on, when should I buy Nvidia and Apple? You know, my personal feeling is that could be dead money for a long time. And it's kind of indicative of what happened when the tech bubble burst. Everybody wanted to own Microsoft. They wanted to own General Electric because they were the big blue chip companies of the time. And then they had a decade. They did nothing. And I think that's your biggest risk here is I'm seeing a lot of investors go back into tech trade. And it can take a long time for those valuations to come back to normal. 
Um, meanwhile, you know, you've got the, the rest of the world is heating up. You've got old school stocks like Coke and Pepsi moving. So I think it's old school versus new school for the next decade. But who's going to lead us out of this uh, mess? I, you know, normally it's, it's the tech well, They're destroying the real estate market. Right. I mean, they're raising interest rates to the point. I got, I got Charlie Gasparino calling me a few minutes ago saying it's going to go up even more, the interest rates. What say you guys? Steve? Steve, I'll eat well, okay. I, well, first of all, John, I'm going to need a little loan if I could get one because I invested all my money with FTX. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, Steve, you can sell my the way, I, How did they say it in the movies? <laughs> Tell me it isn't true. Tell me it isn't true. <laughs> so I don't think you want to take my investment advice. You want to take Ryan's investment advice. But look, I think the, I'll just talk about the economy. I, I think when you've got interest rates on mortgages that have risen from 3% to, what are they, 65 to 7%, 7%. today. Who's going to yeah, buy a house with seven percent? It's tough. Well, Nobody. you know, I mean, when, uh, it's 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 really r- r- raised the price of buying and selling a house. So I am worried about it. I don't see inflation. I think inflation is going to come down a little bit, John, maybe to five percent, but that's still a lot of inflation. You know, I mean, you're talking about people falling further and further behind. And the one thing I'm a little concerned about. And, and I know Ryan's going to talk about this on my show tomorrow, is what's happened with consumer debt. You know, I mean, consumer credit card debt is up to a trillion dollars. Now, assets are up, too, for consumers, but still, that's a lot of money. And what it means, John, is that people are trying to maintain their current living standard by going, you know, paying for the same stuff they were buying before, but it's more expensive. So they're going further into debt. Ryan? Yeah. What, what John, say you, I, Ryan? I I agree with everything that Steve's saying right now, but I think it's important to remember, if you look at it, the big picture, is if you look at debt service versus income right now, it's at the lowest in 40 years. So I agree, you know, some consumers are taking on debt, and I think, you know, a lot of Americans are struggling. I never want to discount that. But also you have Mm -hmm. to look at the fact that Americans still have a trillion dollars more in their bank accounts today than they did before the pandemic. You know, wages are continuing to go up, and I think that's going to continue because I think we have a labor shortage, and I talk to a lot of business owners. A lot of my clients are business owners. And the bottom line is they can't let go of workers because there's no workers out there. So yeah. I think wages will stay strong, and I do think inflation is coming down. And if you look at consumer spending this month, it was fantastic. No one's talking about that. It was up this month even with 40-year high inflation. And if inflation comes down but wages stay strong, I don't think people are going to spend less next year. And I think that's what everyone has wrong right now is the death of a consumer. I think people are going to continue to spend next year and inflation comes down like I think it is. We could actually have a very strong economy next year. And no one's talking about that, but I think it's high odds. I had dinner earlier in the week with Larry, Larry Kudlow, and he was concerned uh, that M2 is way down. What say you, uh, Steve? It is. And in fact, I'm at a conference here in Palm Beach today with him. I'm going to be to see the president tonight. What should I tell him, John? Uh, tell him uh, <laughs> tell him to keep running. Keep running? Okay, I will. I mean, there's a real mixed opinion, you know, here about that. You know, but I'm, I'm with you. You know what you I know, said? Let, you know what I said about the president? Let's put them all on the stage, John, and let's see how they perform. DeSantis. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, let them all, all stand up and see yeah. who gets the knockout punch. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. But anyway, so Larry agrees with you that um, 
you know, there are some problems. I mean, Ryan is, I'd say, you know, among the economists and the, and the financial guys, more on the optimistic side. And by the way, I pray at night that he is right. And he's been pretty right <laughs> over the last six months, I got to say. But I just see worry signs. One of them, John, is that $4 trillion of spending that was authorized in Biden's first two years. A lot of that money hasn't even been spent yet. And it's, it hasn't even hit the economy yet. So that can I they, can, the question that. is, can the Congress stop it from being uh, misspent? misspent? Some of it. Some of it they can. Yeah. And that's going to be the big question, whether these Republicans well, have the final fluid to cut some of this excessive spending and debt. Well, Steve, can they claw back the 87,000 IRS they agent can. money? If, if they can, <laughs> but Biden will re- yeah. then veto that yeah. bill. We might see a, you know, a, a Mexican standoff on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the problem with the 87,000 IRS agents. They're not going to find them because we have a labor shortage. I hope I you're right. Great. They go into the prisons to get the IRS yeah. agents. You know, people really know about that. They're going to go after. We're going to have to do that. Bringing well, them look, from there's Venezuela. Only, there's only a thousand billionaires in this country. <laughs> so if a thousand IRS agents go after a thousand billionaires, the other 86,000 are going to be going after everybody every, else. Every taxi, <laughs> yeah, every taxi cab driver, Uber driver, where? And you mean you didn't declare your tips? <laughs> and have a gun John, on his yeah. side. Yeah. John, if they go after you, you can sleep on my couch. So yeah, you, you guys have a backup plan. Yeah. Before no, they John, go after they me, they have to go after my accountants because they that's sign right. before I sign. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem. You know, people like you who are very successful, the billionaires, you guys have yeah. the accountants and the tax lawyers. It's the little guys like that's me, John. It. You're right. right? You're <laughs> right. Come after, you know? They're going to come after me because, you know. And by the way, I had a big dispute with the IRS, as you probably know. It was kind of famously on the front page of the New York Times a few years ago. And they said I owed $50,000 to the IRS. Well, they, besides that, they said you owed it to your wife. Next wife. Yeah. Right. Steve Moore, I'll be listening tomorrow at 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Right. Oh, my okay. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, Ambassador John Bolton. He served as the president's national security advisor as well as the ambassador to the U.N. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Ambassador Bolton. Glad to be with you. So, Ambassador Bolton, it's Richard Weinberg, sir. I want to ask you about Iran. Are we doing anything to support the people in the street who are putting their lives on the line to fight that repressive regime? Well, I don't think uh, it's anything other than kind of lukewarm uh, rhetoric from the administration. Uh, you know, this is a, 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 something that uh, they've been called out on by, by many Iranian Americans who, who have uh, approached it the same way you do. They want to know why we're not doing more to help these uh, brave people who are who are really in a in a pre-revolutionary situation right now. And I think the reason's pretty clear. The administration is so desperate to go back into the Iran nuclear deal that they don't want to do anything to upset the Ayatollahs and, and the Revolutionary Guard. And uh, really, it's uh, it's it's quite remarkable, given uh, everything else Iran's doing as well, like selling drones to the Russians to use in the Ukraine war. Really, really kind of. Uh, pathetic performance. And, and, and Yahoo, I'm sure, is going to put his foot down with Washington. Is that going to have any effect on uh, what they do with Iran? Well, you know, I think it should. And uh, there, there's nobody better than Bibi Netanyahu to understand the strategic threat that Iran poses 
really to Israel. It's an existential threat. It's a, a huge threat to the Gulf Arab oil producing countries uh, who are closer aligned on this than they are with the United States. Uh, and I think I think they're you know they're heading for a much more difficult uh, relationship over the Iran nuclear deal. Look, we ought to junk the deal. It was a bad deal when Obama entered into it. Uh, the Trump administration did the right thing in withdrawing from it, and it's just contrary to American interest even to think about going back into it. And it's also contrary to the United States Constitution because that really should have been a treaty mm-hmm. affirmed by the Senate. And it, it wasn't. It should have been. That's not, I, I agree completely. It should have been. And, uh, you know, the Senate's got to get tougher on the treaty ratification process. But 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 uh, an agreement that important to the uh, to the safety of the United States, really, and its friends and allies, really clearly a treaty, in my view. Well, Ambassador, this is Rudy Washington. And I've always been confused about the part of what it is that they don't understand. Death to America, death to Israel every Friday. Well, what part of that? Do we miss? I, I don't get it. It's it's a it's a good question and one that I can't answer. Maybe Joe Biden could answer it for us. But you know, if you look at what's happening in Iran today, the the protesters who are uh, still now nine weeks into protesting the killing of this young Kurdish woman by the Iranian morality police for just taking the headscarf off. Um, they're cha- they're chanting death to the Ayatollahs, death to Hamani. And there's a report out and it's been carried by uh, the major news services that uh, the protesters today burned down the, the original home of the Ayatollah Khomeini, the, the founder of the Islamic Republic. So these people are not looking for reform. They really are in a revolutionary mood here. And perfectly understandably, they don't want to be ruled uh, by authoritarian and military dictatorship. And is this threat that they're going to start having mass executions of the protesters? What well, it's a uh, people. It's a it's a it's a it's an important point. People are there's been a lot of brutality already. There are some reports of up to twelve thousand people being arrested. Certainly, many have been killed. Uh, there are reports of actual armed conflict now with with the demonstrators. Uh, but but the the regime really has not bared its fangs yet, and this could get a lot worse. And you know, if we're if the if the regime thinks we're going to turn a blind eye because we're so desperate to get back into the nuclear deal, uh, I really hate to think what might happen. Well, where, where do we go from here? We talked about Iran. We talked about Israel. Where do you want to go from here, Ambassador? Well, you know, I think it's uh, it, it's important to keep our eye on what's happening with uh, uh, with the Russians in Ukraine. You know, we, we went through a uh, a period where we were very worried about this missile that exploded in Poland. It turned out it probably was an air defense missile from Ukraine uh, that went awry. But, you know, that wouldn't have happened if the Russians hadn't invaded Ukraine. And it really is an important demonstration that this war, if it if it doesn't uh, turn out uh, satisfactorily, if, if, if Russia is not defeated here, uh, it shows why the stability of Europe is really threatened by this kind of invasion and what what America's real interest is. So it was a it was a dangerous situation that we averted. Uh, but I think it just underlines why we've got to uh, look very carefully at uh, at, at uh, how we support the Ukrainians, make sure they're getting what they need. Uh, Ambassador, what's the latest projection for Germany this winter uh, with energy? Well, you know, I've, I've, I've now become a weather expert on Central Europe, and the, the latest uh, reports are the, the, the winter might actually be uh, unseasonably warm. 
So there's a benefit from global warming for you. But but if it's a warmer winter, obviously consumers will use less natural gas for home heating. And so the economic squeeze on Germany and uh, other European countries because of the lack of Russian natural gas might not be as bad as they projected. But you really can't tell. And I think I think Putin's strategy now is he, he doesn't see how he can win on the battlefield in Ukraine. So he's going to try and crack the, the NATO alliance split the uh, opposition, get some of the Europeans to say, let's turn the page and go back to business as usual. And and that that's where his economic pressure really uh, could have an impact. Um, and what else would you like to tell you? You know, we're going into a uh, weekend. It's a week before Thanksgiving. What else would you like to tell the American people? Well, I think it's, it's going to be important uh, in, in the next uh, year uh, now that Republicans have control of the House, that we look at some of these foreign policy problems we've had, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, what a catastrophe that was. I, I think we need more of a debate on these strategic issues. When, when we elect a president in 2024, the American people deserve to know from these candidates where they stand on foreign policy. Uh, and having the the House Foreign Affairs Committee, the House Armed Services Committee, really gives uh, Congress a chance to go through some of these crises and some of the threats we face. Ukraine well, and Russia, we've talked about. China certainly needs a lot more coverage. Well, they said uh, uh, when we had the Hungarian minister here a couple of weeks ago, he says uh, Putin would not have had the courage to go into um, Ukraine if President Trump was still president. And we would have still, I guess, we wouldn't have had such a screw up in Afghanistan either. You agree? Well, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the Trump uh, plan to get out of Afghanistan was not not that different from from Biden's. But these are all hypotheticals. You never you never know if you're not if you're not in office. And I think uh, uh, the 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 real question here is is uh, is explaining to people why these were mistakes. And what the consequences are for the United States. A lot of people say, look, it's far away. What do we care? Well, we do care because we've got interest at stake. As far away as Afghanistan to keep them from allowing a terrorist attack on the United States again, like 9-11 in Ukraine, because the stability of Europe's been important to us since 1945. So these are lessons that, you know, time goes by. People forget them, but they're worth reinforcing. Okay, thank you so much, Ambassador, and uh, have a great weekend. And uh, uh, we're uh, going to take a break now, and uh, we'll see what else we have we have to deal with today. Thank you so much, Ambassador. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we're back. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. I mean, you have to be over uh, 55 to remember those words. Uh, the other night. We went to Rabbi Potashnik's uh, cocktail hour, uh, and uh, what? Judge, New York, tell us about the New York Porter Rabbi's dinner, yes. an annual dinner. It's very important. It brings together all the different sects of the Jewish community. You had uh, Justice. Uh, I'm only six percent Jewish, though. Your six percent showed okay, up. My six percent showed up, and uh, my hundred percent showed up, and we were there. Uh, we were there with uh, our good friend, Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington. Now, what percentage Jewish are you? 
I, I don't know. I, I've never taken one of those tests. Now, the, the, <laughs> guest, the big guest was Justice Breyer. Right. You, got, you stayed for the main uh, yes, I, discussion. Unlike you guys who just ate the food and we ran. We ate the food and ran. <laughs> <laughs> it was great kosher food. That's right. We plead guilty with no explanation. <laughs> and Governor Patterson didn't show up. I, I was actually him. at the Urban League dinner that night. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. He yeah. went, yeah, we went Jewish, he went black. <laughs> <laughs> Next year we'll switch. All right. Don, well, Don. Now, what did Justice Byer Did you ask him if he was pushed out from being justice to get a younger guy in? No, no, I didn't do that. Um, uh, I had, you know, what I did was I left the hors d'oeuvre section early and went into the dining room. To get a good seat. To get a good seat. Even though And and the justice was there with one other person. I'm like, oh. So me and my family, we went over and engaged them in conversation. And uh, afterwards, one of the rabbis that know my politics walked up to me and says, Mr. Washington, he said, I I really got to respect you. I said, well, why? He says, for the deference you showed the justice, because I know your politics. But I do have too much respect for the seat of a justice to disrespect that yeah, seat. Yeah, I do too. I Absolutely. Do too. Uh, by, to, and, by, and the by the way, by the way, John, yeah. he's a fine gentleman. Yeah, I'm sure he is. And uh, Dershowitz says the same thing. Right. Uh, I, and today, um, uh, uh, we had this morning, at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, called in from Abu Dhabi, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, and he's going to be on our Sunday show Talking about the nuclear bomb that went off in in uh, cyber currency. Do we have a that clip, the teaser for Sunday show? Let's let's play that clip. Anthony Scaramucci, what the heck is going on in cryptocurrency? Looks like a, a small nuclear bomb has gone off. Well, first of all, it's always a pleasure to be on with you. Happy Sunday. I will say to you that. Uh, a, a catastrophe has happened. I would say it's at least a nuclear bomb. You have uh, the, the second largest cryptocurrency exchange, an exchange that was tied to Major League Baseball, an exchange that had the naming rights on the Miami Heat Arena. Uh, basically, it appears, and again, I'm going to say appears, John, because uh, we have to let the court process and the Justice Department play itself out. Uh, but the presumption right now is that fraud was committed in that cryptocurrency exchange where they were moving money from the exchange account holders into the owner's personal account. And so the gentleman's name well, is... Well, that was uh, Anthony Scaramucci calling in from Abu Dhabi. And and uh, uh, the rest of the interview will be on Sunday at the Cats Roundtable. And today... Besides being Rita Cosby's birthday, you know how I always remember Rita Cosby's birthday? It's on my father's birthday. Mm -hmm. And I had the honor, and we might play the rest of it on Sunday too, of talking to, my father was a busboy. He came as an immigrant at Longchamp's restaurant. And uh, a friend of his, uh, that he's still alive, worked with my father. Let's take that. Let's take a, a minute or two clip from that Sunday's interview with Stephen Trapellis, who worked for my father. Happy birthday, Dad. Today, he would have been, wow, he would have been 118. Mm. Let's, let's play a clip. Tell me about my father. You worked with him uh, every day. You worked for him a long time. Tell me about my father. Was he a hard worker? Your father was an example of hard work and honesty. 
I came, uh, I was in Korea. I was discharged as a sergeant of the military police, serving in 38th parallel in Korea. I was discharged at the end of um, uh, 1962. And the first job that I got when I came back, it was in uh, around February 1963 at Longchamps. The first person that I met there was your father, Andreas Katsimatidis, who was a busboy, but to me he, he, he did not act like a busboy. He was like everybody was listening to him. Um, Longchamps, as you know, uh, John was a very big, 82 waiters. 82 wow. waiters and busboys. And the first floor, the ground floor was the cafe on top on 42nd Street, but the the, uh, the restaurant, the big restaurant was below street level. The kitchen was underneath 41st Street. And the, and well, that's uh, uh, Stephen Trapellis, uh Worked with my dad. He he was the manager of Longchamps, and my father was a busboy. And uh, I had tears in my eyes when I was interviewing him today. Uh, but now it's Thanksgiving next week, and my son went to the beautiful high school, Loyola High School, uh, in uh, on Park Avenue, and and with us today. Uh, we got Tony, uh, Tony Arizano, uh, who is in charge of uh, the Loyola School, and he is. What's your title, Tony? To, uh, Dean, President John, President. Great Mr. to talk Pre to you. I can call you Mr. President of Loyola High School. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And and, uh, and every year, you know, it's Thanksgiving coming up next uh, next week, and. Uh, give us a Thanksgiving message and uh, tell us about what Loyola is doing to, to make people feel uh, that they're closer together. Thank, thank you, John. And uh, one of the things that we've been doing for the past seven years is we've been getting together with other Jesuit schools. Seven years ago, it was about five Jesuit schools. We came together and we said, let's raise as much food as we possibly can for those in need. Uh, last year was 15 Jesuit schools, and this year is 18 Jesuit schools. Last year, 15 Jesuit schools raised 334,000 pounds of food. Now, we're inspired to do this uh, because we want to help those who are most in need. But there's a gentleman, his name is Jim Rowan, and he's the former chairman of the board of another Jesuit school called Fordham Prep. And this was his idea. He said, let's get out there and let's make sure that Jesuit schools can do good work together and collect as much food as we possibly can for those in need. And I'm going to put up a lot of money. Um, and this year, he's put up a half a million dollars for 18 schools to go collect as much food as they possibly can. Wow. And I know that WABC worked uh, closely with St. Uh, Francis Pantries, and uh, I think we're giving away 11,000 turkeys, and it's supposed to feed 150,000 people. It's, a, it's amazing. I've been seeing those signs in your shop as well, and you've done it year after year after year, John, too. So a salute to you as well. And we should work closer together uh, next year, and we, we'd like to help you in addition to helping uh, St. Francis Pantries. That would be that would be terrific, John.
What else? Uh, we we got a minute or two left. What else would you like to say to uh, John? I think people you should give one of the eleven thousand one of the eleven thousand turkeys to Rudy Washington. He's you already bought a turkey. How big is that? Family family coming I, over. I, I need a second one. This deputy mayor Rudy, Rudy Washington, <laughs> former deputy. Mayor. I might have about twenty five people, so I need a second one. We don't want them to starve. <laughs> You know, I wanted to give a sense of the scale of what we're going to accomplish this year. I think it's going to be 400,000 pounds of food. The average American eats about four pounds a day. Uh, that would be feeding 100,000 people. The work together in this initiative really is extraordinary, and what we're able to accomplish for those in need. We're inspired by those in need, and we're really happy that we're able to do this during Thanksgiving season, and happy Thanksgiving to all of you as well. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Happy, happy, Thanksgiving, happy and, Thanksgiving. And we'll catch up again real soon. And uh, God bless everything you do. So, John, I saw the judge get up. I guess it's time to go. Uh, no, no. I mean, we got six minutes left. Oh, okay. So, uh, talk about what are we going to talk about in the next six minutes? What are you guys doing for Thanksgiving? Who's hosting? I know Rudy Washington. You said how many people are you having? Uh, you bought a giant turkey for how much? They, they were $72 for $72. That's for Where, where'd you go? King Collins. King Collins. Wow. Yeah. Why? Wow. That's how a lot of money for it. How many pounds was it? Don't ask me. Ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Judge, where are you going? Out to Long Island. Long Island. Right. And, uh, Governor? I'm going to Lake George, where I went last summer, and I, we had such a good time, we're going to go back. Well, yeah, but it's a little, it's a little colder oh, in the summer. George. It's uh, 15 degrees there right now. Lydia, are you are you cooking? I am cooking. I am hosting, but my mother-in-law will also be helping me. So we're going to have about like 15 people, maybe. I'm not sure. And then my sister-in-law, she'll drop by with her kids. She has four kids. So there'll be a lot of people in the Serrani household on Thanksgiving. Me? Somebody has to work. I'll be here uh, doing uh, taking uh, Sid uh, Rosenberg's uh, position. With Curtis? Who knows? <laughs> John, you're I'm always flip working. A coin. Are you, are you, are you going to cover the parade? Coin. Are you covered in the parade? Which parade? Thanksgiving Day parade. Which on, parade? On Thanksgiving Day. I mean, yeah, the Thanksgiving Day parade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's you're not talking about the Easter parade. No, on the Avenue, Fifth Avenue. It's, it's different, different holidays. The folks, photographers will snap you. Oh, the the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day. There you go. Yes. Now That's you're right. caught up. All right, I'm I'm caught up now. Well, because he's always working. He doesn't have time to go to a parade. He doesn't have time. Well, he's no, busy working. The parade is, uh, I remember bringing in my friend Bruce Logan's house that had, uh, and Bruce Logan did the TV Shopper magazine back 100 years ago. Uh, and overlooking, he had an apartment overlooking Central Park West, and we used to watch the parade from his apartment. And, more, and then I was going to take my daughter home, and I remember she didn't want to walk, so I had to put her on my shoulders. Right. My back hurt for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then my daughter's a tough girl. We had little John Jr. in the carriage. She threw John Jr. out of the carriage. <laughs> <laughs> she said, Wait till I see Yanni. No, I, I, I remember This going, is true story. She threw him out of the carriage. On she threw Park, him out of the carriage. I love it. On I Central love Park it. West, they have all the, uh, the exhibits. And you go there and you see all the balloons blown up. And people we go used to the night, go night before. before. The yeah. night before. They'll go yeah. watch the balloons being blown up, yeah, and right. you hope they don't have 30-mile-an-hour winds so they don't blow up the balloons. 
Well, well Governor. Do we have any woke culture balloons this year? I don't know. I, don't, I hope not. I hope. Maybe I hope Snoopy not. will be transgendered. I don't know. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you governor, don't know. Have governor, you, you laugh, but it could be true. I went to the parade about 10 years ago. It's the only time I ever went. When, time. when you were governor, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was that a coincidence? Did you ride with yes. Santa Claus? Did you ride with Santa Claus? No, I, did, I didn't ride with Santa. All right. Now, are they going to get some of that snow up at Lake George? You didn't sing All I Want for Christmas? You're a good singer. Yeah, but I, I didn't know. I hadn't found my voice then. Oh, did you guys know that? I bet people don't know that, that Governor Patterson is quite the singer and performer. And did you know who, uh, who created the song White Christmas, the best-selling song of all time? Who? Bing Crosby? Bing Crosby? Uh, Bing Crosby? Yeah. No, I created it. He's Jewish. Oh, he's Jewish, that's right. Urban yes. Berlin, a nice oh, Jewish boy. Oh, he sure did. Oh, and apparently Judge, Judge that, was that, that one. It was the flip side of a more popular song that they played one night and everybody loved it and then it became a big national Judge hit. Weinberg, David Patterson, Governor Patterson, and Deputy Mayor, former Deputy Mayor uh, Rudy Washington, Lydia Serrani. Have a great weekend, and uh, let's pray for America and pray for our city. And uh, what do we stand for in this show? True, true, justice, and the American way. God bless America. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.